Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel Zeslovsky. It's about to be a top 12 list like no other. Don't worry, I'll keep count for you. This is episode number 128. Hello. Good to be with you once again, or for the first time, whatever it may be. Uh, No. Hold on. I take that back. Scratch that whole start. It is great, even super great, seriously, super great to be with you once again, or especially if it's your first time. Man, it is such a pleasure that I get to crank out an episode and you listen to it. We make a fine team, don't you think? Well, I am into month four of an epic quest down the quantum biology rabbit hole, and I believe the rest of the intellectual world is still back up at the top. Of course, I have no idea, because quantum biology. Rad. So rad. And really alarming. But uh, maybe if I were to break it up into percentages, 83.8%. 4 or 5% rad and 16.55% alarming. I'll actually tell you a little bit about the universe of quantum biology in the course of this episode, which has been a few years in the making. I know, a few years sounds like a long time, but it's true. Now, unlike uh, the human combat chess performance I just saw with my son the other day, that had only been a few months in the making. Lots of neat things happening here locally in the Minneapolis-St. Paul metropolitan area. Ever since uh, I started this podcast right here in Edina, Minnesota, about six years ago, I thought, wouldn't it be nifty to put my curating skills to work and do a Joel's top whatever number I want, number of podcast episodes that I'm like totally enjoying and benefiting from and that I think you'll enjoy and benefit from too episode? I know that's a mouthful, but that is exactly what you're about to get. The Joel's curated top 12 podcast episodes that I've like totally enjoyed and benefited from, and I think you'll enjoy and benefit from too, episode. We have some seriously scientific, spiritual, inspirational, financial, and contextual stuff coming up. I'll be talking about water more than once and 0% of the time in a way that you probably expect. There will be some death and dying talk, one of my favorite topics, money talk, and as always, real talk, real talk. Oh, and uh, yeah, the word community, it's going to come up a lot as well. Heck, I'll I'll even throw in some dog training, maybe uh, podiatrist and political talk in just for funsies, that and to hopefully blow your mind. All right, not going to tease you anymore. Let's do this thing. Here we go. As I thought about structuring something as big as this and keeping it to under about 10 hours, uh, I thought, okay, I'm not going to do my favorite podcasts of all time. I'm just going to do my favorite podcast episodes because that seemed a lot more manageable. 
And sometimes my favorite podcast episodes do not come from my favorite podcasts. Uh, Some of these shows for the podcast that I'm going to highlight have hundreds of episodes and just telling you, hey, it's great. Just, Just listen. It doesn't exactly help you get started or find the gems right away. So this is one way to give you an express pass into the world of some groovy folks and podcasts and wonderful words via individual podcast episodes. I don't know about you, but I have listened to thousands of podcast episodes over about seven years, and this is the absolute best of the best, according to me, of course. You might be thinking, Joel, how do you even remember what your favorite episodes are? let alone the context of why you love them or why you think that I, the listener, will dig them. The short answer, spreadsheets. Nifty spreadsheets. That, on top of experience curating, uh, you have maybe heard me talk about experience curating before. If you've listened to the show for a while, you can literally read more about it at joelzeslavsky.com slash ECB. Getting into it, though, I, I have to say... I had to cut some of my favorite podcast episodes from this verbal list because the show notes page or the source audio for some episodes was no longer available online. There was uh, this really good, no, groovy, seriously groovy, Srini Rao blogcast FM interview with Seth Godin back in 2013. It was called Flying Closer to the Sun, which had all these great insights, especially the first half of it. However, Sometime between when it was published and now, which is June 2018, the show notes and source audio were stripped from the internet. Who knows why? They just were. I still have my takeaways and action items from the episode tucked into one of my curated spreadsheets, which is yet another reason to do experience curating on what you find online, because you never know when it just goes poof. And there's no Wayback Machine for audio or video either. Gosh, that'd be awesome. Somebody get on that, please. Wayback Machine for audio or video. In the end, I featured 12 episodes, but it just as easily has been like 20 or more. It's, it's hard. It's hard to know where to draw the line when you're talking about something that you may never have heard of before and determining how big your appetite is for novelty and curiosity Uh, what would be too overwhelming to produce or take action on. So 12. 12 is my magic number, and that's what you're about to get. If you dig this episode, maybe I'll do a future equivalent about my favorite videos. For now, I'm just featuring items that are natively in audio format, even if they are also in video format in some other way, because I assume you're not like me in this way, meaning somebody who's willing to use an online file conversion tool like Cloud Convert to upload a video file and have it condensed into audio format so that you can listen to it in a place where you couldn't watch a video. Side note, Cloud Convert is an awesome tool. A little disclaimer here. I just want to let you know, as far as podcasts go and my general tastes, I typically... Don't do story-based podcasts or highly produced podcasts in a a national public radio style. I generally prefer independent podcasts and conversational episodes. Sometimes those are in interview formats. Other times they're just general broad-ranging conversations like I have on Smart and Simple Matters. Um, I just like a real sweet verbal jam session between two or more people. So 
I do want you to listen to at least one of the podcast episodes I'm about to highlight. You don't have to promise, but this Smart and Simple Matters episode has been years in the making, and it took me a long time to produce. I would not have bothered if I thought that you weren't going to click at least one link in the show notes at joelzeslowski.com slash S-A-S-M-128. That's Joel, J-O-E-L, Zeslowski, Z-A-S-L-O-F-S-K-Y dot com slash S-A-S-M-128. That is the grand bargain we are making for this podcast episode. All right, let's get to the Magic 12. I just want you to know these are in no particular order of importance. I have not generally ranked them or tried to categorize them into themes. They're just in my list, off the, my head, onto the page, and I'm going to go through them one at a time. Let's start with this one. It is the intersection of two podcasters I really admire who teamed up to give you a beast of an episode. It is the Model Health Show, episode 24, with Sean Stevenson, who interviewed my favorite podcaster of all time, who I didn't even know existed until I listened to this podcast episode, a guy named Daniel Vitalis. As this was my introduction to Daniel Vitalis about three and a half years ago, he just made a humongous impact on me right away with a masterclass, not just on spring water, but on all kinds of water, where it comes from, how it's treated, what impacts it has on our body, and a whole lot more. I just, I was struck by Daniel's use of analogies, like your body as an aquarium, making sure you put the best water in there. He was just able to illustrate the difference between processed and whole water, and that processed whole water distinction. We normally reserve only processed and whole when we think about food. But water also definitely comes in processed versus raw or whole. Um, Talking about how your water literally becomes your blood, the history of water infrastructure in the United States and why it's so damaging to pretty much everybody who drinks it over a long period of time. And finally, why spring water kicks serious booty. To give you a slice, some quick takeaways that I got from this episode include, as Daniel says, when we get water out of a spring, that water is completely or almost completely unpolluted. Uh, As a matter of fact, if you were standing at a spring and you put your hand or your mouth under that water, that may be the cleanest thing you've ever touched or may ever touch. And if you think the analogy of your body as a fish tank is cool, um, it's Fish tanks need some key things for optimal health. You need good food, you need clean air, you need full-spectrum light, preferably directly from the sun, and, of course, the best water possible. So you're thinking, how healthy can a fish be? Or in our case, our individual cells or our mitochondria in our body, how healthy can they be? 99% of the molecules in our body are H2O, water. So how healthy can we be if the water we put into us is unhealthy? And then that begs the question, okay, well, what's the healthiest water? And I've since learned from a different quantum biology perspective that it's spring water straight from the ground into your container. But from Daniel's perspective in 2013, when the episode was published, he asked, is it distilled water? Because some people say distilled is the best. 
Is it reverse osmosis water? Some people swear by that as well. Maybe it's bottled water or tap water. And eventually, what Daniel was led to is what he feels is the obvious thing, that water we drink, the optimal water for us, is the water we're most adapted to, water from our ecosystem, directly from the ground, spring water. Immediately after listening to this podcast episode, I subscribed to Daniel's Rewild Yourself podcast, which there's a great archive in place, but sadly stopped producing new shows in late 2017. And from that day forward, all of the drinking water in my house has been from the Friedrich Miller Spring in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, which is about a 15-minute drive from my house. It is great water. The mouthfeel, the purity, like the spiritual connection I have to it, everything just totally does it for me. Switching genres and people and topics, we're going to do that a lot in this episode, let's talk money. Specifically, the approach to money and wealth that Todd Tresseter and Jesse Meacham of You Need a Budget talk about in Financial Mentor episode number five. Jesse starts off by explaining two different camps when it comes to budgets. There are folks who don't want to budget because they already know what they spend, although they probably aren't actively tracking anything, which doesn't really help. And there are those who do actively budget. Jesse goes on to describe how budgeting isn't a prison or a diet. It's not restrictive or deprivation. Instead, it's better both mentally and practically, if you think about spending your money and how that reflects on your values and priorities. And if you respect your values and priorities, you will want to make sure your spending reflects them. The only way to know for sure, budgeting. I know it can be seen as boring and ugly and restrictive, or maybe you're even depriving yourself, but When I think about it and the way that these two guys frame it in the episode, when you don't budget, when you don't pay attention to your inflows and outflows of money, you may actually be depriving yourself of peace of mind if you just took a little time out to do it regularly. Todd Trester, the host, follows up uh, and he talks about budgeting is really getting you what's most important to you with the resources that you've got available. And in that light, it's similar to simple living or minimalism where you are removing the things that distract you or not spending money on the things that distract you and take you away from what is most important and what you want to actually spend your money on. So if you do nothing else, at least uh, if you're going to listen to this one, The first 24 minutes or so of the episode are really rad. The rest, a bit too philosophical for me, maybe because I was already on board with the approach that they were advocating. Still, all around, really good. Changing major gears, like seriously major gears. Allow me to introduce you to the universe of quantum biology that I can't shut up about. It is fascinating. So fascinating and really disturbing. Uh, This entry point into the world comes courtesy of the Evan Brand podcast, episode 269, with a guy named Jack Cruz. I got to tell you the story. Um, I've been a subscriber to the Evan Brand podcast since I heard him on Rewild Yourself maybe a year and a half ago. Talks a lot about the gut microbiome, microbiome and functional medicine stuff. And so here I am. It's early March 2018. It's at the late afternoon. 
I'm minding my own business, making some dinner, and Evan brings on this guy named Dr. Jack Cruz. And in the first five minutes of the episode, it's all going over my head. Jack Cruz is talking about water, magnetism, and light. He's getting into seriously, seriously deep science stuff, and I'm not getting it. But there's something that's grabbing me, something that's telling me this is really important. You need to understand this. Uh, And if you listen to this episode, I mean, when you listen to this episode, really, it truly could change your life forever. I humbly request that you look past Cruz's mentions of his members, which is his paid membership site. Uh, He's going to talk about uh, a third-person reference. There's an occasional distracting notification sound or cough. He does take some logical leaps, which may be too much for you. Dense science alert, of course. And the dude's pretty brash. Uh, He may actually be intentionally abrasive at times. It's a real love him or hate him kind of personality. But this was so important. So important that for the first time ever, when I was done listening to this hour-long episode, I listened to it again immediately afterwards because I needed to understand what 5G, fifth-generation cellular networks were doing and disrupting anything that was living. Um, What sun was doing and how that works at the mitochondrial and quantum level. Now, since listening to this podcast episode, I've learned through multiple books, academic and scientific research, and other places that as controversial as Jack Cruz is, he has intuition and data to back him up almost all of the time. I have to say there's just too much here to ignore. And this one episode sent me down the electromagnetic fields. You might have heard of EMF or EMR, electromagnetic radiation, and mitochondria, and and all this quantum stuff, like a blazing fireball. It's now three months later, and my multi-potentialite self has almost completely excluded everything else from intellectual pursuit, so I can learn about things like the deuterium content of water, cytochromes and Krebs cycles, quantum tunneling. Uh, all this stuff relates to human vitality, And really the impact of our modern environment on anything that has a cell from the tiniest bacteria to the largest tree. I took a bunch of notes while listening to the podcast episode for the second time. Actually listened to it for a third time. And uh, here are some fun facts or snippets to whet your appetite if you're already curious. A novel way to think about food is as an electromagnetic fingerprint from the sun that's created by photosynthesis. Because everything is tied back to the sun. Engineers, they have changed the amplitude and frequency of light waves for fifth-generation cellular networks, a.k.a. you've heard a lot about 5G probably, and the impacts, especially the negative impacts on those, are really big. Uh, Non-native EMF will dehydrate your cells, and the way that Jack puts it is equivalent to putting your mitochondria in a microwave. It's not a good thing. A little pro tip, which I have since taken to a new level when you're out in the sun, Try to not wear blue blocking anything. That includes sunglasses or contacts. And actually, when I say blue blocking, I'm really talking about UVA or UVB light. Um, don't, don't get the sunlight. Don't put anything between the sunlight and the cornea of your eyes. Your brain, through your eyes, needs that full spectrum light to avoid things like myopia and a best circadian rhythm and proper hormonal regulation. Um, And in related eye news, cataracts, 
is the corniest way of trying to naturally block blue light. So if you have cataracts or have had or anyone in your family, this is a good episode to listen to. And perhaps the biggest takeaway out of everything, and I know I'm already going on and on and on about this quantum biology stuff in this episode, but it's so good and so important. The number one thing you can optimize if you want longevity and good health for yourself and everyone else you care about, it's not your food, it's not your physical activity, it's not even your social life, and that's a bold statement from a serious extrovert and community-oriented dude like myself. So it's, it's none of those things. It's not even your sleep. It's your circadian biology and making the sun your best friend forever. Feel free to blame me for getting you sucked into the same quantum biology rabbit hole I'm in deep after you listen to this episode. If you are, let's nerd out hardcore. If you're looking for something soothing after a dose of quantum biology, may I suggest you listen to a wise Buddhist monk named Ajahn Brahm. He belongs to the Buddhist Society of Western Australia and a Dharma talk he gave about two years ago called A Different Perspective on Empathy permanently changed my views on death, dying, and the role grief inside my own mind and that of a broader culture, the role that that plays. Just in the first 10 minutes or so, Ajahn Brahm, he totally flips the culturally learned mindset that funerals have to be a place of sadness and grief and that we have to grieve for the dead. Children, of course, are picking up on this from us adults as well, but they otherwise would not feel grief and pain and sorrow when people died if we didn't teach them to be that way. Of course, they'd still be confused, but they wouldn't feel these things that we just think of, we have to feel this way. It's the default. It's inherent in human nature. And it's really not. Uh, Around the 18-minute timestamp, he talks about how it's important to empathize with sadness. And he relates how empathy can sometimes just be feeding people's pain. Sometimes you have to feel what other people feel, but just don't do it all the time. He has these great stories, funny, I mean, lots of joking, especially on these serious topics. And Ajahn Brahm talks about people who are grieving or sad as in a pit uh, or a well. You have to climb down there into their world to feel what they're feeling and who they are. You understand who they are. Otherwise, you can't really help unless you meet them where they are. But when you get down to the bottom of their world and you hold their hand to be able to reach them, it's dangerous stuff because you can get stuck there as well. So if you go into the well and you're helping someone you care about who's really in pain, who's really suffering, especially because of the loss of a loved one, always take a ladder. When you get down to where you are, you can hold that ladder and both of you can climb out of it. And without that ladder, empathy really doesn't help a ton. Um, You need the wisdom and compassion that also goes along with the empathy. Otherwise, you may become another sad person needing help. If all this sounds depressing or judgy, it's totally not. Listening to the way that he frames it, I feel like I'm already doing it a disservice. Uh, A couple more things about this one because it's so good. Around the 31-minute timestamp, Ajahn Brahm discusses the culturally learned sadness when people die. And he knows this because he had experience in northeastern Thailand for nine years when he was training as a Buddhist monk. Nobody got sad in that culture when their friends or family died. 
There was no expectation for somebody to feel grief, and they didn't naturally feel it, not even during a funeral service. So that begged the question for me, when people die, did something go wrong? Like, is there a law of the universe that's been violated when someone you care about dies or when you ultimately die? My answer is no. And it makes me think how much of empathy is a natural response and how much is a culturally embedded response. All this to say, you can be somber without being sad. You can be kind and understanding without needing to cry. You can be a shoulder that other people cry on rather than another set of tears that is looking for a shoulder. I'm paraphrasing Ajahn Brahm at this point. Um, But you can be that point out for people who are confused and sad. You're not going to go around chuckling, cracking jokes, uh, but you don't necessarily need to mourn. This is radical thinking for a lot of people. And it was for me at the point that I listened to it, but just hearing him talk about being peaceful and serious and don't go into that deep pit by yourself or without a lighter was just so much. I mean, we see people who are suffering and we want to relieve it. And sometimes it's actually us who's the one who's suffering. And other people, they're actually good. Maybe we're projecting on them. Anywho, uh, this hour-long Dharma talk is just all kinds of fantastic. And although it's ostensibly about empathy, I really viewed it as a one-hour-long course on how to change your beliefs about death and dying and the role that grief has to play, if any, in death and dying. Now that we're a few episodes into my list of greatest podcast episodes ever, you may want to pause or load or look back at the show notes for this episode because if you're thinking one of those four episodes or maybe all of those four podcast episodes that I was talking about sound rad, I totally want to listen to them too. The only way you're actually going to listen, probably, is to have easy links to click on, which is what the show notes are for. So you can find them at joelzeslowski.com slash S-A-S-M-128. Now for podcast episode number five of 12. You'll recognize the name and voice of the guy being interviewed because it's me. <laughs> I, uh, I've been interviewed a fair share myself about a hundred times in various places over the years. And episode two of this short-lived but pretty nifty show, Remarkably Human, with my friend Roderick Russell, is the interview I'm most proud of. Even if my name wasn't associated with it, I would still really dig this episode. Uh, If you're curious enough to learn about this experience curating thing that I've mentioned a few times, this is the place to start. The episode is titled Outsource Your Memory and Curate Your Life. I just, I felt like Roderick and I really built upon each other's words and experiences in this one. I said some neat stuff. Roderick really had the gems in his role as the host. I'll give you a couple of little examples. So the first one is he synthesized my message with experience curating so well when he said that curating isn't about having a better memory, which I claim and is definitely a benefit, but rather it's about living a better life, totally on point. Uh, He also mentioned that you're curating your entire life to broaden your palette of experiencing life itself by noting and being mindful, that, I mean, that's really what it comes down to, the curating process forces you to be mindful pretty much all the time. Moving on, 6 of 12. 
I just knew that I had to work in a Colin Wright episode into this list somewhere. Uh, Colin has come on my show twice and just knocked it out of the freaking park both times. So as I was putting together this episode, I was unsurprised when uh, he made my top 12 list. Uh, He just, in his first episode, episode zero of his show, Let's Know Things, it was a home run. Who does that? Who hits a home run in their first podcast episode? Colin does. Uh, The episode is called Contextualism in China, and there are three distinct parts of the episode that grip me. Uh, The first part starts a little before the 10-minute timestamp, and it's about humanity's concept of right and wrong. Did you know? Our concept of good and evil has shifted over time. You might be saying, no, duh, but if you stop and you think about it, think about how nutty is it for anyone to say that they know right or wrong, good or bad. Colin mentions that uh, claiming that you know right or wrong, good or bad, basically is saying that everybody who ever lived, lives right now, or whoever will live in the future that thinks differently than you, has got it wrong. Uh, If you look at humanity, cultures over time, we've considered very different things to be good and bad, right and wrong, evil, or whatever. It has just changed radically over very short periods of time. And the idea that we have right now, we found the right answers, whereas everybody else throughout history was evil or bad or wrong in some absolute way, that is just way off. The second part I enjoyed was a little after the 28-minute timestamp and unveiled the us versus them trap that pretty much every human, definitely including myself, and especially politicians, have fallen into. Uh, The way that Colin frames it, to maintain a level of control over the general populace, to maintain uh, the singular status of only superpower in the world, which the United States has tried to do for decades, and lacking the Soviet Union as a good counterbalance, a good uh, boogeyman, if you will, China these days has become the de facto stand-in to counter the U.S. superpower or hegemony. Colin just breaks this down so well. Um, He's talking about if we're resting on our laurels, this is what a lot of politicians will say, or the implications of a lot of saber-rattling will do. If we rest on our laurels, all these guys are going to unseat us. We're going to be replaced. Uh, And the narrative, the usefulness of this narrative is so powerful if you're the one delivering it. If you become a superpower and you see yourself as a superpower, you don't have anything to worry about. You lost the fear of the wild. You've lost the fear of any other nation threatening your existence. And then you're less likely to make difficult decisions and less likely to suffer for a cause. In that case, you're less likely to feel patriotic. You're less likely to look at yourself and the people around you as us because there is no them. There's no other to unify you. And politicians especially need that. They need the us versus them distinction to rally people and to make them feel a sense of unity. It's really difficult to control people's minds if you don't have an other of them to show you how different and scary the rest of the world is. The third part of this episode that's well worth your time, although you're going to need the rest of the episode for the full context, it's about at the 39-minute mark. And it's the value of having people challenge you. I love this so much. I love it when people challenge me and point out my assumptions or blind spots, especially directly. Uh, Taking it straight from Colin, there are a lot of big issues that are going to need to be dealt with in the coming years. 
And it's impossible that just one country or just one culture is going to be capable of solving all of these big issues from overpopulation to climate breakdown to artificial intelligence to nuclear proliferation. I mean, we're going to need the entire human species to get together and to figure stuff out. So some kind of method of working together of maybe not believing the same thing as everybody else, but at least respecting other people's viewpoints enough to allow them to exist. We're not buying into everything that every culture or government does. But if we look across borders, oftentimes, which are artificial, whether they're mental or physical borders, and we respect other people for the value that they're providing, even if it's just the value of challenging the things that we're doing, so that we can be sure that we're doing the right things more often than not, we're going to be in such a better position to handle all of these new emerging challenges and threats, and some of them existential. So when you hear about uh, the next made-up, conjured-up geopolitical situation, just kind of keep that in mind. I'll hit this next episode quickly because I don't have to go on and on and on and on for every single episode. Uh, this one is a must-listen if you have or ever will have a dog. It's from the Tim Ferriss Show, and the episode is called Susan Garrett, Master Dog and Human Trainer. The whole episode, fantastic. Uh, actionable from the get-go to the finish line. The part I remember the most is toward the end where Susan is explaining that dogs do not understand the concept of don't. Don't is a human concept. So that means you need to change whatever you don't want your dog to do into something that you do want them to do. Because dogs do understand do this, do that. In Susan's own words, most people try to train their dogs via don't. Don't bite, don't bark, don't do this. Uh, and because dogs don't understand don't, all you have to do is look at what you don't want them to do and create a behavior that you do want. Because you're setting the dog up to be reinforced by giving them example of what to do. Somewhere in this episode, I can't remember exactly where, Susan also talks about four games you can play with your dog that's going to set them up for life of good behavior. Uh, what you should do within the first 24 hours of bringing a new dog into your home, whether it's a puppy or whether it's a rescue. Uh, also goes through some remedial education for current or prospective dog owners. And I say this episode is even something that dog experts would get a lot out of. Either you shape your dog or your dog shapes you. We've all seen it in action. Maybe we're living that on a day-to-day -day basis. We can do better. I know I certainly can. As we move on, I'm, boy, I'm now thinking how I'm going to limit myself on Rewild Yourself podcast episodes. I mean, I could do a whole Smart and Simple Matters episode just on Rewild Yourself episodes I found worthy of listening to or uh, having your time be spent on. There is a reason why it's my favorite podcast ever. The individual episodes add up to much more than the sum of their parts. I'll just give you two in particular. The first one I'll offer up, perhaps it's the most practical episode from my curated Rewild Yourself list. Uh, that assumes that you have feet, of course, or at least one foot. Uh, it's episode 140, The Barefoot Podiatrist with Dr. Ray McClanahan. 
Side note, uh, the actual interview with uh, Ray McClanahan starts at about the 28-minute timestamp if you want to skip Daniel's updates on what he had been doing lately at the point he recorded the episode. I enjoy them, but might not be your thing. The episode itself, just a masterclass into why our shoes are causing us so much harm and how crazy the concept that we need support for our feet is. Uh, Ray has been a podiatrist for decades, and uh, he gets into some stats and numbers, like 80% of people over age 50 will have pain each year that's directly related to their feet. Uh, The history lesson is wonderful about how we got to this point of popular thinking about the benefits of shoes, and the fact that they practically have no downsides, which when you listen, you realize very quickly is not true. He's just super well-informed and well-spoken from all of his experience working on and with people's feet. Specific things that I liked in this episode include Daniel's analogy of imagining that, uh, imagine somebody believed that core strength in the human body came from wearing a really tight corset or belt. He says that we know that you build core strength in your body, with your body. It doesn't come from something external to you, like a corset or a belt. When people do heavy weightlifting, yeah, they might put on some kind of weightlifting belt. And there are times where it's appropriate to wear something on your hands if it's cold, on your feet if there's sharp things. But why somebody would want some kind of super supportive shoe for everyday use and wearing around, that's, that's something that's actually extreme behavior. And we're, when we do that, we're relying on this mechanism instead of your own body to provide the support that's built into it, that we're evolved to have naturally. There's sciency and technical stuff in this one, too. Uh, Ray talks about what a bunion truly represents. And if you've ever had one, I know it's painful, uh, but it's actually a progressive dislocation of the big toe joint, typically caused by footwear. It is not a naturally occurring thing. Um, Ray also talks about the American Podiatric Medical Association. They have some stats, I'm not sure how recently they are, where the association claims that 87% of Americans are going to experience a foot problem. And that is similar across the world. Ray asks his other buddies in various other medical disciplines and specializations, do 87% of your patients develop the problem that you specialize in? And it just really (laughs) is not the case. Uh, It's wild to me, uh, pun intended with Rewild Yourself, that if we're taking 8,000, 12,000 steps a day, whatever the common recommendation is these days, if that is considered hard on our feet and we're overusing our feet, you might be thinking like Daniel did. I said, come on. We've been walking miles and miles every day for pretty much all of human history And how can walking a few miles cause overuse of our feet unless? Unless it's not our feet that's the problem. It's the things we put on our feet that are the problem. So the fact that we're changing our bodies, all of our bodies, our knees, our hips, our back, our shoulders, all of these things start with the feet. The fact that we're changing our bodies for footwear and fashion, it's just not the best thing that we could do. If you're intrigued, if you're disturbed, give this one a listen. 
I might as well stay on the Rewild Yourself track since I'm here and offer up another of my favorites on uh, one of my favorite topics, community. The next one is episode 88 of Rewild Yourself with regular show guest Arthur Haynes, and it's called Why We Need Community. The premise for this episode is the two of them, Daniel and Arthur, are discussing uh, Arthur's book, A New Path, which I've read and readily support. And it's about nine attributes of community in hunter-gatherer tribes. That and why it's worth us, modern humans, practicing these same attributes for many, many reasons. I'm just going to run this one through the podcast episode gauntlet real quick, timestamp style, because you might want to jump around real quick. Uh, First up, around timestamp 11 minutes, Arthur's talking about a topic in rewilding that frequently comes up, which is looking at our most closely related species, chimpanzees. Uh, And he's noting, yeah, chimpanzees are very violent. We do share common ancestry with them. And if they're violent and they're our common ancestor, that means that we humans are just naturally violent. It's just a part of us, right? Then he points out that maybe that's too simplistic. Uh, We also share common ancestry with bonobos, which is a dwarf chimpanzee, and they are extremely peaceful. So we've decided to focus on chimpanzees and their violent nature, and we've decided to disregard other common ancestors or any observations about them because it goes against this long-held belief that we must have been savages when we were hunter-gatherers because it explains all the violence we see today, that is not the case. Next, around timestamp 16 minutes or so, uh, Daniel and Arthur are going back and forth about a common topic uh, in the Rewild Yourself podcast, which is sovereignty. And Daniel's hearkening back to the day when uh, humans, we weren't uh, so wrapped up in our egos as we are today. But hunter-gatherers, they had more freedom than we do as modern humans in pretty much any way that you can define freedom. Then uh, Arthur chimes in to say that uh, hunter-gatherer groups, really, back in the day, you couldn't be bossing other folks around. And he gets into the anthropological record where certain individuals within a small tribe were being bossy. And folks just said, screw you. (laughs) You're out. You you just can't boss other hunter-gatherers around until agriculture and the industrial revolution comes and fills up the landscape with too many people. Uh, Around the 32-minute timestamp, also worthy of your time, Arthur expounds upon another aspect of hunter-gatherer communities, which was equal wealth and resource distribution. In fact, sometimes a little-known fact, hunter-gatherers possessed what we might call the original affluence. They could gather and craft and make pretty much everything they needed for living. Uh, Even people with special status, like shamans or tribal leaders, they were all people who had to forage and hunt and provide for themselves. Uh, The shelter, the lodge, the actual buildings, they were the same among everybody in the tribe. Yes, some people, like tribal elders, they had more experience and their experience was valued, but that did not give them the ability to tell people what to do, nor to have more, um, nor to have any kind of display of dominance or of wealth other more than the other people in their tribe. Uh, last, around timestamp, 52 minutes, Daniel's just going back and forth and he's asking Arthur, hey, Arthur, if we were going to start 
to create a community for ourselves? How will we begin to create rewilded communities? And Arthur responds by saying, well, let's look at our definition of society today. Um, It's a group of people that often live over a much larger area than they need and compete against one another for the commons, for the common resources. There's massive wealth and resource inequality between gender or social class uh, or countries. People can't operate by consensus. They've got different beliefs and goals. Decision-making is by majority or even minority rule. And oftentimes, the decisions that are made are to benefit only a very small segment of the community. If we juxtapose, if we contrast that around what we had and can have again, it would be crazy if we were to start from scratch to build the kinds of community and society that we have right now as opposed to a rewilded or an ancestral version of that. Okay, I will stop there on this specific episode of Rewild Yourself. I have strong impulses to continue, (laughs) but I'm going to hold off. We're getting close to the end. I have another one here for you, though. Uh, I will give a big hat tip to my super-duper wife, Melinda, for suggesting this next episode to me. And now I get to suggest it to you. It is from WNYC Studios, which is an NPR member station, and the podcast is called More Perfect. Specifically, I'm talking about the episode named One Nation Under Money. The description on uh, the More Perfect episode show notes page says that this one is about an unassuming string of 16 words tucked into the U.S. Constitution, which grants Congress extensive power to make laws that impact the entire nation. It is the Commerce Clause, and it's something that has allowed Congress to get in the middle of all kinds of situations, from penalizing a person for growing too much wheat on his farm, to enforcing the end of racial segregation in the United States. Of course, that's dependent on the federal government making an economic case for it, which is what the Commerce Clause is about. Uh, It really challenges us to consider as well, If we make everything about money, what is that actually costing us? I was just listening to this one. I was slack jaw fascinated multiple times by how prominent the Commerce Clause in the U.S. Constitution has become since the 1940s and how it's been used to justify everything from the American Civil Rights Movement to the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, I have to say, I'm not thrilled with the role that money has in politics, but I did not even partially understand the role that money has on politics through the Commerce Clause until I listened to this episode. Apparently, this is wild, but apparently you can try to justify just about any new legislation or federal policy in the U.S. and successfully justify it often if you link it back to the Commerce Clause of the Constitution. Although that's already starting to change a bit based on recent events, and they cover that in the podcast episode as well. I know that's all might be a little bit mysterious, but the way this episode unfolds is uh, very mysterious. It has all the polish and intrigue and narrative style that you would inspect from an NPR-style show, which, for change, actually totally did it for me. Okay, two more to go. Coming in with a new candidate for the That episode title is a mouthful. May I present the Model Health Show, episode number 121. 
changing our relationship with food, overcoming bulimia, and recipes that will change your life with George Bryant. I remember listening to this podcast episode back in 2015 and thinking, dang, this could be the most inspiring podcast episode I've ever heard. Especially at that point in time, I was struggling with sugar binging and I was way into paleo, which this George Bryant guy is as well. Uh, He, George, sets the table for the rest of this episode by talking about how he served in the U.S. military in Afghanistan, and as a result, he had multiple concussions, chronic illness, nerve damage, all this pain. This guy is just totally transparent and vulnerable, without it being gratuitous, about how, like, he describes how he was bulimic for 12 years as a result of verbal abuse from his family about how fat he was. Uh, it was in a tough neighborhood. He had his nose broken three times by bullies. He almost lost his legs and couldn't walk for 12 months. I mean, this guy has gone through a lot, yet he still has enough joy for life and gratitude for the people in it to put love letters in the lunch bag of his daughter every day. The whole episode is great. Uh, The 15 to 16 minute timestamp mark, though, has some really nifty perspective. Uh, George is talking about how most people who come to eat at your house, they're implicitly trusting you to disdain them and help them continue with good health. Basically, the way that I look at it now, it's, it's a covenant. When somebody comes over to my house and eats the food that I prepare for them, I can either be giving them life or getting them one step closer to a life with a disease that they and I don't want. And the difference is the food that you present to them. Uh, I'll also recommend timestamp 26 minutes to 29 minutes. Listen to that and see if you can avoid getting goosebumps. I know I can't. I don't even know if this episode will change you, but it's certainly going to have a great chance of inspiring the sweet bejesus out of you. Okay, I have one last podcast episode that stacks up well against the thousands of others I've listened to. This is not a case of saving the best for last, and it's hard to put it in here at all, but I'm going to do it. It's actually from the Smart and Simple Matters archive. It's episode 83 called How to Grow Food Anywhere and Build Community Everywhere with Eugene Cook. I generally don't like to play favorites with the episodes I produce because each one serves a different purpose. It's got a different focus and format and energy. It impacts people differently. This one, my friend, this one, though, oh, man, it is at the intersection of food, self-sufficiency, sustainability, and community, all these things that are good individually. But the way that Eugene cooks up, pun intended, uh, the possibilities of a life growing your own food, even in, and maybe even especially in an urban environment, is just so good. Grow food where you are, in your backyard, with your neighbors on an empty lot, in some old abandoned industrial part of town. At first, hearing him talk and reading his site, it felt a little utopian, kind of uh, like a fantasy land. But then I talked to Eugene, and wow, Uh, hearing him grow up in suburban Los Angeles, helping his parents out with a small garden. Uh, his visits as a youngster to his grandparents' farm in Kansas and where he first got his hands dirty. If you want to learn why you need a food abundance system more than abundant food, how to ease poverty with local solutions and no legislation necessary, 
If you want to go and figure out how to make nature your church or why the people who spoke the least influence Eugene the most, you got to listen to SASM episode 83. All right, that was 12. Whew. That's a lot right there. Uh, to give you a quick little recap, we just went Daniel Vitalis on the Model Health Show with crazy knowledge about water. Budgeting like your values and priorities depend on it via financial mentor and Jesse Meacham. The so whoa world of quantum biology with Jack Cruz on the Evan Brand podcast. Ajahn Brahm changing minds and maybe the future culture around grief and empathy via the Buddhist Society of Western Australia. Me, little old me getting interviewed by Roderick Russell on Remarkably Human about this experience curating thing I've been doing for years and used for this very podcast episode to produce it. Uh, Colin Wright on Let's Know Things about stuff like humanity's concept of right and wrong, the us versus them trap. Then we, I, talked about uh, Susan Garrett on the Tim Ferriss Show, distilling down what you need to know about making your dog be that one dog that everybody's always saying things like, wow, your dog makes me want to shout sweet, sassy, molassy. That's how awesome your dog is. Then I uh, spoke about foot coffins, also known as shoes, uh, with Ray McClanahan on the Rewild Yourself podcast. A Rewild Yourself a double take with Arthur Haynes on how our hunter-gatherer ancestors really had this community thing down pat. Came uh, straight out of left field at you with more perfect and the 16-word force that is the Commerce Clause in the U.S. Constitution. George Bryant, who was dialing up the inspiration level to 11 out of 10 on the Model Health Show. And then Eugene Cook chatting with me on SASM about how to grow your food anywhere and build community everywhere. Whew. We made it. And now it's time for you to peep the show notes at joelzeslowski.com slash SASM128. So you can see links to all the podcast episodes I just discussed and get to clicking. Again, that's J-O-E-L-Z-A-S-L-O-F-S-K-Y dot com slash S-A-S-M-128. You'll also see information in the show notes about how to support me, this show, and our community at joelzislavsky.com slash support. Seriously now, get to exploring. I took about 10 hours out of my life to produce this episode so you would check out the show notes, click some podcast episode links, and then some combination of laughing your booty off, feeling your feelings real deeply, or having your mind expanded in a wicked way. Next time, I'll be back with a conversation about, I don't know, something or other. Maybe a deep dive into quantum biology. Maybe I'll just let my seven-year-old son, Grant, record his own episode and uh, publish it here. You never know what you're going to get with me, eh? You've just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with Joel Zaslowski. Now go simplify something. Hug someone or get your sexy spreadsheet on.